there. My name is Bobby Harrington, and I want to welcome everyone to our Renew Leader podcast. And with me, I have two men that I'm so grateful to have with me. Uh, Together, the three of us form the uh, board of directors for the Renew Network. We have many other sponsors, but let me start off introducing them. So, uh, David Young, will you tell us a little bit about who you are and uh, just a little bit about why you're excited about Renew Network? Well, I'm a a pastor at a church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and I've been there for uh, more than 20 years total. And we just have a heart in our congregation as well as um, the, the congregations that we're associated with for really seeing the good news of Jesus go all over the world. I think the way we like to put it is we believe every person should have the opportunity not only to hear about Jesus, but really to make a decision for Christ. And we would love to see that happen in our lifetime. And we want to be part of that. And um, that's how I vision this network is um, calling people to um, this, this awesome mission, this awesome vision that God gives us in Christ based upon the sacred trust of the scriptures, uh, but with joy and, uh, and courage and determination to give every person the chance to hear the good news. Ah, that's great. I'm going to come back to you, David, and tell, make sure that our listeners or those joining us know a little bit more about your background. But before I do that, Brett, uh, give us a little bit of background on Brett Andrews. Um, I am uh, at a church in uh, Northern Virginia. If ever anybody ever flies into Dulles airport, we're in Chantilly, right close to that. Um, been there about 25 years, and uh, we're a church planting church. And um, you know, there's in terms of why we're part of the Renew Network. I, I would like to say what David said. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with him. <laughs> well, great. Well, uh, I'm gonna just for the sake of our audience, and and by the way, I want to uh, uh, just let everybody know that this is a leadership uh, podcast. Because as we're starting off, we're rallying leaders, but ultimately we're rallying leaders to really influence the everyday disciple of Jesus, who's uh, really around the world. We're gonna we're gonna talk more about that in just a second. So uh, I'm gonna uh, be vulnerable and tell you about myself to begin with. So um, I'm a Canadian American, is the way I describe it now, and what I mean by that is I spent the first 36 years of my life living in Calgary, Canada, and then I've spent the last 24 years living near Nashville, Tennessee. I'm the uh, founding uh, and lead pastor at Harpeth Christian Church, uh, but my biggest focus now is going to be Renew Network. And in addition to Renew Network, I'm also leading an organization called Discipleship.org. We bring together the nation's leading disciple-making experts And uh, actually, as a part of doing that, I realized that a sustained disciple-making effort or uh, sustained disciple-making movement has to be undergirded by a really healthy theology. So now for the next 10 years, my hope and my prayer is that God will use me and these men and other men and women from around the world to build a network that many people from many tribes consider us part of their tribe. We're not asking anyone to leave a tribe, but would join with us in the great cause 
of uh, making disciples of Jesus based on the teachings of the Bible for the great unity of the work of God's Spirit. So that's a little bit about me and my background. Uh, I had the privilege of uh, working with Tom Rayner for a doctor of ministry. Uh, I had the privilege of working with uh, Stadia, training church planters for about a decade, and uh, also had the experience of leading an organization called Church Coaching Solutions, where we coach church leaders. So I hope, uh, and my prayer again, just being vulnerable and transparent, is that God uses all of those things that he's put into me as uh, I serve as uh, the CEO of this network to lead it to great things. But I'll tell you all this. I can't do it without these two men. So, uh, David, uh, I want to press you a little bit. Uh, You have a a Ph.D. from Vanderbilt in New Testament. Tell tell us a little bit about that. How many preachers have a Ph.D. from Vanderbilt in New Testament? Well, that's a good question. I'm not sure I know that. Um, Yeah, I finished in uh, 1994. It was a fantastic experience, um, and uh, um, yeah, it was just a rich experience. I, I don't know what to say. It's been it's been really useful in ministry. Um, I will say that uh, in, in the, when I when I was admitted to the program, there were four of us admitted, and um, and and those both ahead of me and also those who followed me. I may have been one of the only ones that I would think of as having a real strong interest in. Uh, a biblical Christianity. Uh, um, not many of the professors would have shared that conviction and, and not many of the students. And what I did find, um, and I, I want to make sure this comes across well, is um, I found that my my faith in scriptures actually flourished there and grew, which um, still surprises people to hear because the assumption is that it's sort of uh, erosive or corruptive towards faith in the scriptures. And it was not that for me. When I left uh, Vanderbilt, um, I had more confidence in Scripture. And to, to this day, the Scriptures are, to me, one of the few things that I would die for. Oh, that's great. Now, David, God's uh, granted you great influence through North Boulevard Church of Christ. Uh, you're a church well over 2,000, uh, planting multiple campuses, having missionaries around the world. And you're a highly sought-after speaker. Um, what is the thing that drives you in terms of why are you doing all these things, planting churches focused on making disciples and uh, really trying to make a big impact? And and you are having a big impact. You're one of the biggest voices in Churches of Christ today. Well, I, I'll answer that. But I do want to say, even before I answer that, that, that Brett, you and Bobby both have been um, really coaches for me. So as we began um, in earnest establishing campuses and planting churches, we received a lot of our training from Brett and from Passion for Planting, which Brett founded. And Bobby, as you know, but I want others to know, personally coached me and North Boulevard for a year and a half and have really, without you guys, um, the number of mistakes that we made would have been exponential. And so, um, uh, so I owe a whole lot to you guys and, uh, you really have been formative in what we're doing. Um, at the end of the day, what drives us, if you really want to know, I think the sort of a theme verse for us is uh, Romans seven and verse nine, really in following where John gets this vision of 
uh, you know, the, of the new creation or heaven or however you want to term it. And he says, I saw every language, every tribe, every nation, every people gathered around the throne and um, singing, um, you know, worthy as a lamb, singing this, this awesome praise to God. And so one of the things that we, we try to teach in North Boulevard is that you will get the right answers if you ask the right questions. Mm. And the wrong question is, how can I be happy? How can I find a satisfying life? And so forth. the right question is, how can I be right with God? And I think when you're right with God, you, you find all these other things. These things come. And so what you see in that vision of Revelation 7 is an entire created order that has now found itself right with God. And right. so what drives us is this vision of how can we give everyone the opportunity to be right with God um, in preparation for the resurrection and the restoration of all things. That really drives us. That it's, a, it's like it's a great fire. It's a perfect fire. That's awesome. Okay, Brett, uh, also uh, most in our audience are not going to know much about you. You're the founding and lead pastor of New Life Christian Church. You're also uh, one of the founders of Passion for Planting. And also uh, you've been a part in the past of the Exponential Network. So one thing that stands out really clearly is your commitment to church planting. So New Life Christian Church, multi-site church in the Washington, D.C. area, uh, you know, somewhere uh, numbers don't matter, other than the, the leadership scope of 1,300 to 1,500. But the biggest thing is you've helped plant over 200 churches directly through New Life and also as a part of Exponential and Passion for Planting, many beyond that. Tell us what drives you. Um, reaching lost people. Lostness is what drives us, that we live in a world filled with people who don't know Christ, and we have a short period of time to make a difference. What drives me is that when I was the um, my first month at as an associate minister, I got a box uh, that, that uh, another minister had sent me, and I thought it was kind of curious and I opened it up. It was actually a box of my grandfather's sermons, a grandfather that died a couple of months before I was born. And I remember reading through those sermons thinking, here's somebody who'd ministered from 1920s through until 1990 or 1964. What difference did he make in his ministry for the kingdom? And I've often looked at that box and thought, what are my kids, what are my grandkids going to think when they see the, 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 my life's work in ministry? And so, um, so I'm driven by, there are lots of lost people in our world. And how can, how can I be a part of helping the church expand, the kingdom of God expand uh, to be uh, on earth what it is in heaven? Oh, I really like that. That's a pretty pretty good vision. I, all three of us are motivated by that day at the end of our lives when we stand before the Lord. And one of the ways of saying it is not only do we look forward to him saying, well done, good and faithful servants, come share in your master's happiness, but also us standing there with countless other people. David, as you said, Revelation 7-9 from every nation, language, people, and uh, ultimately culture. Okay, let's talk about a couple of things with Renew Network of what we want to be known for. David, 
if I were to say to you, what's one or two things we want to be known for, what would you say? Well, it, uh, you know, if I were to describe the end result, it would be Revelation 7, 9. The end result of the network is, um, is, is, is to invite people to be part of that massive crowd that, um, that enjoys the new creation, the restored creation. That would be the result. The mission, the way to do that is to make disciples of all nations, as Jesus says, his, his last words. In some variation or other, in all four Gospels, Jesus closes with some sort of commission, some sort of charge. And uh, in the opening chapter of Acts as well, as Jesus is about to ascend, he gives a final charge. Go be witnesses everywhere. And so the, the, what we want to do is to make disciples of all nations, as, as Jesus teaches us. And I think that the uh, maybe a nuance that we bring to it um, that we want to keep strong is the conviction that the, the Jesus whom we want to follow and the Jesus that we want to preach is the same Jesus that we read of in Scripture. So not not a you know not not the Jesus of our imaginations or the Jesus of our satisfactions, but the Jesus that you actually read up in Scripture. So we have we take a high view of Scripture, and um, we're convicted that if you plant if you plant the Scriptures in a culture or in a person's life, that they'll do all the work. The Scriptures can do this. The Word of God can do this, and um, and it, and it is that point of contact with Jesus that. Um, that, that, that place where we get the actual details of Jesus and that this is transformative. So making disciples, but making disciples based upon this, uh, the word I use is a sacred trust, the sacred trust of the scriptures handed to us from the prophets and the holy apostles. Uh, that's good. So it's almost like one of the ways of describing it is the operating system is disciple making based upon the real Jesus, uh, the infallible scriptures, strong view of the word of God, and the operating system is making disciples in the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and, and we've seen this, Brett, you've seen this a thousand times, Bobby, you have. My son and I were in, um, we went to Stratford-upon-Avon a couple of years ago uh, when he graduated high school. We went to Shakespeare's place and it's a fantastic museum. The house is there, Shakespeare's bed is still there and it's still made up, which is more than you can say for mine. But um, as we're there, we're, we're reading about all the ways that Shakespeare, sh not only shaped the English language, but really sort of shaped the English culture. And I came back reflecting on how Shakespeare's works have done a lot of things, but you've never seen Shakespeare get into someone's soul and rescue them from the enslavement of an addiction or save a marriage. You've never seen Shakespeare get in some, someone's soul and save them from depression or save them from the, the dysfunctions that are all around us. But I have seen the scriptures do that. And I've seen the scriptures do that a thousand times. So the, the word of God really does have this incredible power. And, um, and I think that uh, it, it's sort of a time of testing and at, at least in North America, um, you know, do we really trust the scriptures enough to have this power? Mm. Or, um, are, you know, are we are we um, sort of self self theologizing and and kind of looking for um, a, a Jesus that loses a lot of his power because he's not the one we read up in Scripture? That's right. Maybe that's an overstatement. I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. Brett, why don't you jump in in terms of what we want to be known for? I know you agree with what David said, but maybe you want to add something to it. Well, I, 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 yeah, I really don't know that I have anything to add to what David said I, in terms of, um, but I'm in complete agreement with it. That I, I think 
um, what we all believe is that there's a power of the Holy Spirit when unleashed, when, when we don't hold him back because of disobedience, because of lack of prayer, because of not cooperating with the truth that he's given us in scripture on what to do as well as what to believe and how to live. And so, you know, I believe that what we're, we're trying to do is how do we align ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit so that what we saw in the book of Acts is taking place in our generation. I think that that's what everybody who's serious about Jesus and serious about the kingdom really wants. And so I think a lot of at the core of, of what we do in Renew is, um, you know, how do we align to you, Lord, so that your church can be what you've what you want your church to be so that people can know who you really are. Um, a couple of things that I immediately think about, um, uh, you know, a lot of that power that uh, in terms of w- what we want to be known for, we want to be known for Therefore the good news, discipling people as the good news, discipled people in the first generation, you know, Bobby, I think you'd like to quote Bill Hall who says, and I don't have it perfectly, but something to the effect of the good news that we teach determines the disciple that we make. And so when yeah, that's it. it's the Jesus we preach and the gospel we uphold determine the disciple we get. Yeah. And so um, how do you get new Testament disciples that are making disciples who make disciples who make disciples so that you have within three, less than 300 years, an entire culture that was once hostile, now embracing, you know, that's the power of the Holy Spirit through people who are, who are, you know, completely sold out to, to Christ. You know, so I want to be known for, as the good news. We want to be known for the good news. People want to celebrate. Um, Of course, everybody knows that when, at the time that we are recording this, the um, the Washington Capitals have just won the Stanley Cup. You knew it was only a matter of time before I was going to fit that in, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> That's rubbing it in the face of a <laughs> And um, but I, you know, I said to our congregation on on Sunday, I said, watch watch what happens downtown. Watch uh, on Tuesday when they have the parade. Watch what's happening right now as the Capitals go everywhere and people are just yelling and celebrating and. I said, that just reminds us, that's what we're made for. There's something in us that desires to go, yes, we won. Isn't this great? This is amazing. And, and, and I said to them, now, the sad thing about that is it's, gonna, it's not going to last. You know, people in Pittsburgh this year are not celebrating the, you know, in, in the streets. And next year, if we don't win the Stanley Cup, neither are we. But that's, I said, I want you to get, that's a foretaste of heaven. And that's what the good news of Jesus gives us now and as a promise for the future. And so, and so that's why I want us to, that's what the Renew Movement is about, is understanding the good news, celebrating the good news, making disciples make disciples because of that good news. And, and, and so we celebrate now and we look forward to eternity as well. All right. So we're talking about a movement to renew the Christianity of the Bible, to renew the gospel of the Bible, to renew... Uh, disciple-making as Jesus taught us, to look forward to the renewal of all things in the new heaven and new earth, and to celebrate that the way you guys have been saying. Uh, So I want to talk about 
some of the early adopters of the Renew Network. Uh, we have uh, David, you're uh, from a Church of Christ background. Brett, you're independent Christian churches. We have some folks from the International Churches of Christ. And by the way, everybody's uh, in leadership positions. We've all rallied around the same faith statement uh, just to give a, a real clear sense of vision biblically of, of uh, what God's calling us to. We also have people uh, outside of uh, those streams. Uh, for example, a, a man, uh, Shadonke Johnson, who's uh, leading a, a fabulous disciple-making movement in Sierra Leone, where uh, they've already reached in the last 10 years over 60,000 Muslims. Mm-hmm. What is it that's attracting people from some of these historic streams like Churches of Christ, uh, independent Christian churches, international churches of Christ, and then even beyond? What's the attraction, David? Uh, well, you know, in North America, there there may be um, just a, a strong desire to sort of renew the mission of the church. Uh, you know, we're in a time of sort of uh, confusion and upheaval in North America, at least. And so people are are looking for what is it again that we're supposed to be? You know, the, the middle seems to be dropping out of Christendom in North America. It's not that Christianity is getting weaker. I think it's just that marginal... Christians who weren't that serious are dropping out. Um, and it's probably a time where those who uh, want to follow Jesus um, are, are actually are growing stronger. But there's, they're looking for a mission, it seems to me, um, in North America at least. Now, internationally, I, I think it's a, probably a different motivation. It's, it's just the power of the fresh, new, awesome power that the Holy Spirit's exercising in many ways, including through Scripture. Good. So, David, I want to ask you if you'll talk about uh, one of the things that is happening in North America, and that is uh, a lot of people are becoming what's called progressives. They're adopting a progressive Christianity, which seems to be more uh, focused on being accepted uh, by the cultural standards that uh, have emerged quite strongly. So talk to us about that. Uh, we, we, We want to be known for what we're for. But part of establishing what you're for is uh, there's a there's a trend to the trends to the, I want to just say to the left and trends to the right, and yeah. uh, we're skewing and saying no, this is not the way of Jesus. But talk about uh, progressivism, what people used to say, a uh, liberal Christianity, and first of all, why is it so strong, and why is it that that's not what we want to be about? Well, it's a long story, um, and, I, and, and we don't spend too much time on it. Um, you know that in uh, archaeology in Israel, there have been discovered um, little statues of Baal that have the name of God written across them, Yahweh. And what it tells you is that syncretism, this, this desire to sort of fit in, it has been perhaps the greatest challenge that the people of God have always faced. And so even in the, you remember just before the New Testament time, um, the uh, even the high priests were forbidding circumcision and were, were going um, Hellenistic. And it was just this, just, just this impulse to fit in. 
the golden calf is an example. So here are the people who have just been delivered from Egypt. They're down at Sinai. Moses is up on the mountain and they can't wait four weeks before they start building a, a calf so that they can feel more at home in the culture where they are. So I just think it's going to be a constant pressure to feel at home in the culture where you are. And, and um, uh, certainly in the last half century or so in the U.S., uh, postmodernism has sort of kicked in and, um, you know, skepticisms regarding truth claims, uh, a real strong um, interest in, in, in inclusion and tolerance, um, sort of suspicion towards um, authority. As all these things have kicked in, uh, it's, it's just really easy for Christians to sort of adapt those uh, approaches to following Jesus. And to some extent, we probably need the correctives. But um, but here's the bottom line. When you marry Jesus, that's not when you start trying to decide if you're going to be faithful. You have to make that decision before you get married. So when I got married to Julie, I, I didn't marry her and then began to wonder, uh, wonder what this woman's like. And I wonder maybe I should have married that woman. But once you marry Jesus, you've, you've made your decision now that you're not going to be like anyone else. You're not going to be like the culture around you. And so uh, having married Jesus as Christ followers do, it's time for us to close the other doors. And there's not an exit here. We've made a commitment to follow the Jesus who really is. And even if uh, all the world pushes against us, as Jesus says, don't expect them to be your friends. If they're your friends, there's probably something wrong with you. So once we marry Jesus, we've made a decision regarding holiness, regarding ethics, uh, regarding truth. And we close all other doors. And so I really think the challenge for us is that a lot of us, we got married to Jesus and then immediately began to flirt with the, um, you know, with the, uh, with all the allurements and the enticements around us. David, I've heard you use the analogy of um, an on-ramp that a lot of times what people are thinking is they're developing an on-ramp yeah, yeah, yeah. By, by progressive Christianity. Talk to us about that. Well, I just read, uh, where was it? Um, I don't remember where I read it. Maybe in the uh, either the Times or the Wall Street Journal, somewhere. Um, in the last 12 months, one of the major liberal Protestant denominations in America lost another 5% of their membership in 12 months. Now, if you were to ask the leaders of this fellowship what they were trying to do as they became more progressive, Someone, maybe not all of them, but someone in that leadership would say, we're trying to make Christianity accessible to everyone. We're trying to build an on-ramp so that people can easily come in without the baggage of historic Christianity and the sectarianism of what, whatever. But the truth is, when you began to lower the standards, you're not creating an on-ramp. It's, it's not as though people will suddenly say, oh, wow, I, I want to be just like that. What you're really doing is you're, you're, you're letting the animals off the farm. So, so we're all familiar probably with this study that was done, I don't know, 20 years ago, whenever it was, sociologists, that when fences were removed from playgrounds, children became fearful. That the fence actually mattered to the children. They, they liked having a, a fence because it, the boundary was helpful to them. It, 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 it clarified where you're safe to go. It, it gave you a sense of direction. And in the same way, when we stand on biblical principles, not sectarianism, and not, not a lot of the nonsense that I think a lot of sectarian churches, including churches of Christ, maybe especially churches of Christ, have confused with biblical Christianity. But when we keep the core issues, the important truths, when we keep them in their place, it's attractive to people. 
when we let those down on the assumption that people will come running to Jesus, we're, we're making a serious mistake. And the, if we know anything about the last 50 years about Christianity, it is that progressive churches are in a total freefall, a total collapse. It's happening all around us. The seven mainline Protestant denominations are losing members by the tens of thousands. They're closing churches everywhere you turn. And so the assumption this will somehow make the Christian faith friendlier to people, uh, it not only is it, not only is it a theological danger, but sociologically it just doesn't work. So they think they're creating an on-ramp when in fact they're creating an exit ramp. An exit. For the faith. It's you know, I, I just want to add here, um, because I lived through the experience in Canada when, uh, 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 when I was a child in the 60s, uh, actually 65% of Canadians attended church on a regular basis. And then the churches adopted a more progressive or liberal, you know, hoping to make it more attractive for some reason. And uh, what they did is they conclude when people concluded, well, the church is just saying the same thing the culture does. We don't really need the church. And so now in Canada, the uh, number of people attending church, uh, you know, they say about 15 percent. It's actually probably less than that. And uh, uh, the vast majority of them are gray hairs. And so it's becoming yeah. very much and has become very much a post-Christian culture with the, with the whole thing that you're talking about. Now, we just want, we want to be careful that we don't sound as though we're suggesting sectarianism. We're not. Right. Uh, I, like, I have a heritage of, uh, well, some spirit of sectarianism that I'm really fighting against. But at the same time, um, there's some real clear boundaries uh, that come with Jesus. And those clear boundaries have to be honored if I want to keep Jesus. I married him. Once I marry him, I've closed the other doors. That's right. Well, Brad, I want to uh, uh, ask you to come in here and talk about the dangers of traditionalism or legalism or sectarianism. Um, I, I, yeah, the um, I, I I actually am not much around the 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 traditionalism side. The the the, the only thing I would say about the what you just said with, is um, I understand the. Um, the draw of a progressive Christianity, you know, from church planters and those primarily who I work with um, are really about reaching lost people, at least effective ones are. And so there's this constant, I, I, I C.S. Lewis, I, I, no, it wasn't C.S. Lewis. I think it was um, J.K. Chesterton said the same road that leads into Jerusalem leads out of Jerusalem. And so, that I, I think that the deceiver will use that very good biblical instinct against us. And so we get really careful, appropriately so. We don't want people we don't want to turn people off to the if people get turned off to the church because of Jesus, that's okay. If they get turned off to the church because of us, that's not okay. But then what happens in the young church planter is if they're not if they've not thought through a number of these issues, things that are at the heart of the gospel, they will start compromising on or, or at least soft peddling, you know, they, so they, they'll think, or they'll think, you know, I'll, I'll deal with these difficult doctrines later. And then they, they develop a church around them that doesn't really believe the gospel. And as a result, a couple of things happen. First of all, they lose their evangelistic passion 
um, because without the heart of the gospel, you lose your evangelistic passion. Um, or second, then when you do start teaching on scripture, you it, they leave, they get angry. And so I understand that wrestling match It's it, of, of it's actually purely motivated with some. It's not just a matter of wanting to fit into the culture. It's a matter of wanting not wanting to get in the way of evangelism because of of um, of difficult teachings of the Bible. So, the danger of traditionalism. Um, I'm going to leave that up to you and David to be honest with you. Okay. Well, isn't it isn't it uh, a lot of people, Brett? Just the whole thing that you're saying with so much church planting and all that you do that you don't run into as much of the problems of uh, sectarianism or legalism. It's actually an interesting thing because um, uh, I know a young lady who uh, has been involved in various churches uh, from more of a conservative restoration movement background. And, and she was telling how she heard all these complaints about legalism. And then she was saying, if I could just find somebody who really is legalistic, <laughs> it's so hard to find somebody like that today. But oftentimes... Yeah, I- Go, go ahead. I, all I was going to say was, I, I guess if I go back to my own personal experience with legalism or traditionalism, um, you don't you don't do the gospel any favors by elevating secondary things to primary things. Right. And then what happens is when you start arguing for the primary things, you've lost your credibility because people really can credible credibly say. Well, you were wrong on what you were thinking about secondary things. Maybe you're making things primary that aren't really primary either. Yeah. You know, uh, with Renew uh, Network uh, and the faith statement we have, we actually went ahead and articulated three categories of biblical truth, or the elements of the faith, we call them. So there's essential elements, the Jesus we preach and the gospel we uphold, and the act of faith, the faithful faith response to that. Those would be essential elements. Then there's secondary elements that are important. Like these are important hills to be wounded defending. But the first one, they're hills we die defending. The second ones, they're hills we're willing to be wounded defending. These teachings and truths may not uh, disqualify us from being saved, but they ultimately determine the faithfulness and the obedience to many of the teachings in the Bible. And then there's the third category, the personal elements, that uh, where we just allow people freedom to, uh, as Scripture does in Romans 14, what Romans 14 calls the disputable matters. Some ate meat, some didn't. Some drank wine, some didn't. So as a network, we we think it's important to clarify the, the three levels. Some say the three buckets. Uh, the first bucket issue is uh, essential stuff. The second bucket issue is the important stuff that we've got to uphold to be faithful. And the third bucket issue are just, you know, good-hearted, faithful people. Even in the Bible, there's enough ambiguity there, or God allows us the freedom that we have that freedom. So let me take that third bucket issue and give a way to frame traditionalism or legalism. What often happens is people take third bucket issues and they make them essential. Mm-hmm. So I know of contexts where, you know, uh, the, the worship service you have on a Sunday morning, if you don't do it just right, well, you're not really saved. Or if you drink alcohol, you're really not going to heaven. 
or if you don't hold the same interpretation we do of the days in Genesis 1, you're lost. And uh, as a network, we're wanting to allow uh, this, well, not we're wanting to allow. We think the Bible teaches us not to bind things that God never binds. David, do you want, do you want to jump in here? Because I think it's just as important to describe the dangers on the left of progressive liberal Christianity embracing a culture with the uh, particularity of over-rigidity and legalism on the right. David? I've heard Brett say even recently that um, that we want to unite for the sake of the gospel, unite for evangelism, for making disciples of the whole world. And if we make personal elements, um, uh, if we we try to turn them into um, essential truths, it's 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 hopeless. We not only can't unite, um, but 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 really we, we've probably signed our own death warrants. And so what we have to be willing to do is say that um, within the within the big fence that God gives us, everybody can play. There are some boundaries we can't cross, but the only reason you have a fence is so that you can live inside the fence. And so what we want to do is make sure that our fence is as broad as scriptures allow. And um, it's no secret that the Southern Churches of Christ, the Acapella Churches of Christ, have uh, really, really struggled with traditionalism, legalism, sectarianism. And um, and it's also no wonder why, listen to this, in the Southern Acapella Churches of Christ, uh, a, a Church of Christ in the American South goes out of business every week. We lose another one. We're losing them at about, um, actually a little bit more, about every five days we lose a Church of Christ in the South. Goes goes out of business forever. And we're not that big anyway maybe 1.3 million on a given Sunday. And so um, the, the, where the bleeding is, is accelerating. And for a, a lot of those churches, it's really hard for me not to conclude that they've decided that what you do at worship, uh, what kind of music you have, you know, how you dress, whether you clap or don't clap or lift your hands or don't lift your hands, that these sorts of things have just so choked the life out of these churches and um, have become the only things worth fighting over. And um, I don't mean it ugly because uh, I mean, these are my people to some extent. I mean, they are my people. But, um, oh, my goodness, if this is what the gospel has come down to, uh, then good riddance. We need to leave that. Good yeah. riddance to that. Yeah. So what we've got is uh, that's on the right. Brett, uh, you described the danger that you're seeing with many church planters. Uh, you're you're coming out of uh, uh, independent Christian church, which uh, in a lot of recent statistics are one of the fastest growing groups in the country, and yet when you look at it, a lot of the uh, a lot of the leading edge is uh, embracing more of this progressive Christianity, which is not uh, the path that we're recommending. We're actually recommending a, a healthy, God honoring biblical approach for the purpose of disciple making. Let's. Uh, I want to bring in one other thing. Uh, unless you wanted to say something about that, Brett, I wanted to. Sure. Yeah. The. Um, I, I think part of the question becomes: Can you take a punch? And traditionalism can't take. Um, can't take a punch because what every generation goes through this adolescent period of questioning the previous generation. And, um, and by taking a punch, when, 
when the next generation, and it's really, CS was called chronological arrogance and like we're better. And if they're, if they actually can attach that to something that shows the flaws of the previous generation, they abandon it. And so I, you know, I think that in a generation that'll look at the traditionalism and say, that's wrong. We don't want to be a part of that. On the flip side with progressivism is the same thing. It's like you, the next generation will come along and say, but there's no there there. Why would we want to be a part of that? And so that's why it's, it's uh, for me, it's so important that we be clear on what is core good news, biblical Christianity, so that there's both substance and power of the Holy Spirit as a result working through that. That's good. So I'm, I'm actually wanting to change the direction of this conversation uh, to something that I think is really fundamental to us and that's fundamentally different than the tribes uh, that we're talking about as Renew Network. And again, we'll have, we're not asking people to leave their tribes. We're just saying this is a tribe that you can identify with in addition to your tribes. Like David, you're not planning to leave Churches of Christ, Brett, you're not planning to leave independent Christian churches, uh, the uh, people with the uh, International Churches of Christ, or uh, so many independents are going to, you know, we're we're all going to work together around uh, this biblical teaching, uh, this core biblical teaching for the purpose of disciple making and renewal at the end of time, as we uh, hope to envision Revelation 7-9, as described. There is one thing, though, that's going to be at the core of what we're doing that, David, I'm going to draw you into this, and that is that we really want to be led by the Holy Spirit. We want to be a movement that's grounded in fasting and prayer and in the Holy Spirit. In fact, ultimately, renewal is the work of God, and it comes historically as Richard Lovelace pointed out so many years ago in his book, The Dynamics of Spiritual Renewal, it comes about because of fasting and praying. In fact, our partner, Shadonke Johnson, uh, in Sierra Leone with their disciple-making movement, says it's at the heart of it. So, David, jump in and talk about why that's so important to us. Uh, okay. let, let me say this regarding progressivism on the one hand and sectarianism on the other. Um, you can think of renew as a as a third way that calls for the best of biblical theology, but it's inspired by the Spirit and is uh, motivated by a love of people and, um, and and approaches the world with joy and um, with with a sense of of courage and optimism and uh, is not encumbered by the sort of the needless um, sectarian dispositions that characterize some churches, but also isn't ready to sort of give up on what what Christ has really called us to be. And a key to that, I think, will be our willingness to be led by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, you remember two times in the New Testament, we're told to pray in the Spirit. And I've really wrestled a lot with what this means. And uh, if you're if you're Pentecostal charismatic, generally speaking, you take the text to mean pray in tongues which may be a legitimate interpretation, but, but at the minimum, you can say this, that there is a connection between prayer and what the Holy Spirit does. Uh, he, he works through the word, but he works in ways much greater than the word. His fruit is all over the place. 
Um, but he, but there is something about prayer. There's something about fasting. There's something about laying ourselves out, exposing ourselves, and not only individually, but congregationally as well, that invokes the power of the Spirit. Uh, maybe it's the act of submissiveness that comes with prayer, that uh, in prayer we, we, we no longer, as the old translations say, grieve the Spirit. In prayer, we, we, we allow the Spirit's fire to be ignited. That, but there is something about prayer and fasting that um, that activates what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And I don't mean we're manipulating or controlling the spirit. What I mean is we're giving up something about ourselves in prayer. And the more of ourselves we give up, the more the Holy Spirit leads. So I'll just tell you this story. So North Boulevard is um, you know, one of our visions is we want to be a house of prayer. Uh, you know, Jesus says my house will be a house of prayer. If, you're, if your church is not a house of prayer, then you know, I think you can question whether it's fully Jesus's house just yet. But um, I, I did a, a, a series of presentations several years ago at a, at a church. It's a charismatic church in, uh, in the D.C. area, right? It's a, it's a Korean church. And they told me that before I came, they were going to pray for me um, for 21 days. I wanted to know what, what should I pray for. They called it a revival. So it was a revival. Um, and I, you know, pray for the Holy Spirit, pray that the Spirit will be poured out, pray that, you know, hearts will be convicted and whatnot. When I got there, I found out, now I thought they meant they were going to pray for me at dinner time in, in that short little prayer we all do just before dinner. I got there and found out they met five times a day for 21 days in a row for an hour each time. So they spent five hours a day for 21 days in a row, and they only prayed about one thing, and that was me and this presentation. They met at five o'clock. And they would have several hundred meet at five o'clock. They met at 10, lunch, after school, and then at night. And these are people, these are professional people. So it's, a, it's an immigrant community. They're here because they work for the government. They're lawyers or doctors. They're college professors, engineers. I mean, these are, these are professional people. And when I got there, the room was on fire. It was already on fire. This is the only time this has ever happened to me. I preached the revival, as they called it. Um, and... Um, we get to the last night of the revival and I, I, I've done my lesson and I look over at the pastor and ask, what do I do? And they said, well, offer to pray. And I said, OK, I'll be here if anybody wants to pray. The entire congregation ran down to the front. They didn't walk. They ran to the front. We spent three hours praying over the people who came down. And from that time forward, I've been in contact with a lot of them. As a matter of fact, we hired one of them at North Boulevard uh, because it because of the, the, the power of the prayer lives they had. And I would, it was just phenomenal to see what those prayers had done, how the spirit had worked. And I just believe that the power of the Holy Spirit is available today as it was in the book of Acts and that the Holy Spirit operates where people are willing to lay themselves down. And prayer and fasting is a primary way of opening myself up, emptying myself for what the Holy Spirit is willing to do if I'll allow it. That's a fantastic church. By the way, they plan, this church uh, is uh, 20 years old. I spoke at their 20th anniversary this past year. They have already planted, I think, 30 something churches, including in Pakistan, Nepal, India, uh, the U.S. Um, so so it, all through prayer. Right opposite the uh, Western Wall in Jerusalem, they have a three story prayer building and they have round the clock nonstop prayers in that building looking down on the Western Wall 24 seven. For five years running, they've been doing this. Wow. That yeah. is so encouraging. You know, <laughs> it's, it's humbling. <laughs> yes. It's humbling. 
Well, uh, the reason I'm bringing this up is as a as Renew, uh, as a movement, uh, we want to be grounded in act, in calling people to radical prayer and fasting for God to do his work. You know, earlier this year, we published the book through discipleship.org. It was a free ebook, uh, Kingdom Unleashed by Jerry Trousdale, whom David, you know. Jerry, Jerry's a member of my church. Yes, he is. By Jerry and his partner. And they just document these disciple-making movements around the world and how they're really grounded in fasting and prayer. In fact, what I'd like to do is I want to share for those of us for those who are watching, and I'll describe it for those listening to the podcast. And by the way, you can see the webinar as well. Uh, if you're just listening to the podcast, uh, it'll be up eventually at renew.org. But I'm going to share the screen here, and uh, I want to show you all what uh, the the launch event for leaders. Uh, this is a leadership event that we're hosting to launch Renew Network and I'd like to just roll it out in terms of uh, our vision of how God uh, renews people. And this is based on uh, the teachings of the Bible. For example, before you have Acts chapter 2, where all of the great work of the Holy Spirit happens, uh, starting this great renewal movement with Christianity on the day of Pentecost, you have an Acts 1 church. That's right. They're meeting and they're praying and meeting in the upper room. So on October 24th, and by the way, you can go to renew.org and it'll have a link to the Eventbrite site. The first session we start off with talking about the elements of renewal with uh, prayer, fasting, and openness to God. So David, uh, you'll be talking along with Shidanke Johnson is coming from Sierra Leone, Africa to talk to us about prayer and fasting and the work of the Holy Spirit as the basis of a disciple-making movement. Then uh, in the second section, high view of Scripture is always associated with uh, God doing great things. It's people really believing the Word of God, as we've described, not veering to the left or to the right, but uh, to Scripture. So Christian Ray, who uh, became a follower of Jesus in Russia, uh, who was actually a part of Boris Yeltsin's uh, election campaign that defeated communism. Uh, help, uh, Christian Ray helped him to do that as a Russian rock star, and then later became a devout follower of Jesus, and he has a very high view of Scripture. So Christian is going to be joined by Renee Sproles, who leads the School of Christian Thought, who's going to bring a perspective from young people today and uh, how we need to encourage them to have a high view of Scripture, and that leads to holiness and conviction about God. Then, uh, thirdly, uh, we're going to talk about conversion and discipleship, the concept that the gospel you preach and the Jesus you uphold determine the disciple you get, the role of baptism uh, in, in a full biblical conversion. So uh, Rick Oster from Harding Graduate School, We'll be uh, working with Kevin Holland, an African-American pastor from Turning Point Church in Los Angeles. And then after that, we have a couple of uh, leaders who are really committed to disciple-making because, as we've been pointing out, uh, at the heart of Renew is a commitment to disciples who make disciples, who plant churches that make more disciples, that plant more disciple-making churches. 
And so Jim Putman from Real Life Ministries in Post Falls, Idaho. Uh, Jim is a very well-known author, probably the best known author and leader around disciple making today. Uh, he's one of the Renew leaders, uh, planted a church that initially in eight years grew to 8,000 around disciple making. And uh, since then, they've planted many other churches and have started uh, uh, the Relational Discipleship Network. He'll be joined by Sidney Clayton, whose husband is David Clayton. Sidney is a, uh, a tenured faculty uh, professor at Lipscomb uh, who um, helped us with our faith statement. Actually, she, along with four other women, helped form uh, our statement's position on uh, men and women and the role of male servant leadership. So Sydney is going to talk about women discipling women. And uh, she and her husband, of course, planted Ethos Church, which is uh, a church of 3,000 in the Nashville area doing a great job. Then we want to talk about dealing with biblical truth and the tough issues in our culture. So we want a place for serving the community and serving the poor. And we also want to say how we can do those things, but still uphold what the Bible teaches. So Marcus Di Carvello is a Latino American who is a, not just a doctor, he's a psychiatrist who says his main thing in life is making disciples. He's going to uh, help us to understand uh, following the Bible in the midst of a culture where many people are addicted. Then uh, Dr. Sasha No, who is America's leading cannabis expert uh, with uh, both a medical degree and a doctorate in cannabis research. She's going to show us what the Bible says and how uh, much of recreational cannabis is the equivalent of getting intoxicated and drunk. And she's going to walk us through how to think about that. And then Brandon Redler, who lived for six years as a woman, who literally had a sex change and became a woman, and then came to faith in Christ and uh, determined that to follow Jesus, he had to become a man and live in a, as a man. He's going to share with us uh, how to love people with their sexual struggles, but uphold what the Bible teaches. And then the day will uh, we'll, uh, end up the day with Brett. We want you to cast that vision of church planting and uh, David Clayton from Ethos. They're planting churches all over the world. So uh, we're looking forward to you two guys casting the vision that it's not just making biblical disciples who trust and follow Jesus and the power of the Spirit, but uh, we're very committed to reaching lost people and planting disciple-making churches. So uh, I wanted to highlight the day. Of course, uh, Christian Ray is going to bring in international flavor with the band, along with Dave Stovall of Audio Adrenaline and uh, Tony Twist from TCMI, uh, which is an international seminary based in Eastern Europe with uh, students uh, from all over the world. Tony is also one of our sponsors and hosts, and we think it's going to be a really effective day of setting a paradigm of what is Renew all about? And what's going to happen when we follow these principles? So uh, as we wind down, I want to give Brett, you, and David uh, an opportunity for any comments about our launch uh, or any other things that we envision in the future. Let me start with you, David. Uh, well, 
I, I will say this, um, you know, our vision is an international vision. And uh, even though we have a faith statement that we're really serious about, uh, what we want to do is invite anyone who, uh, who, who accepts the Jesus of scripture and wants to see the whole world have the opportunity to come to that Jesus. I mean, we want to partner with you. We want to be part of uh, whatever God is doing, wherever God is doing it. And we're, we have a, a particular heart for um, the next generations. Uh, and you can look at the three of us and realize that we're uh, all in our late thirties and, and um, you know, kind of, pushing the upper limits now what we need to do is we we we, we need new voices and uh and and, and really the, the front of this needs to be what the holy spirit is doing in new voices so we really want to invite anyone who wants to see jesus proclaim to the nations and anyone who has this shared vision of every language every tribe every people and every nation gathered around the throne of God and finding what it is we were really created to do anyway, to, to join us, be part of us. Be, uh, um, uh, let's do it together. Let's let's take the gospel in, in our generation. Let's see it happen. Let's do it while we're still here. No, David, what I like about what you're saying is that uh, it's really true. We are uh, our sponsors, our original sponsors are men and women, old and young, multi-ethnic, multinational, uh, from, uh, you know, a Trinidadian American like Sasha No to Dennis Okoth in Uganda to Shidonke Johnson in Sierra Leone to Brandon uh, Redler, who's uh, 20-something, L.A., uh, as we said, uh, uh, former formerly lived as a woman, now living as a man, uh, back to living as a man, following Jesus, men and women and multi uh, generations um, absolutely we're very committed to that that's that's god's vision and that's our vision so absolutely. even though we're serving as the initial board we already have people representing uh the diversity that we've talked about brett uh want to give you a, a last word on this topic well i um <laughs> one second sorry that's my mom calling. <laughs> How about that? The um, uh, God is doing something in this generation with in the church with disciple making and disciple making movements. You look back in the when I look back in the history of mankind, there there are certain ages where I think, man, I wish I could have been alive to be a part of that. You know, I wish I could have been alive in the in the fifteenth, sixteenth century when there was so much happening with the birth of modern science. I wish I could have been alive when uh, during the Great Awakening. Wouldn't it have been amazing to be a part of what God was doing through you know Whitfield or through the the Wesleys? Or man, that would have been great. Or we look at what what was up in the um, in the in the in the in nineteenth century America, with the you know with with the unity movements and the church growing and the and the, and the frontier whatever thing, man, I wish I could have been around with that. I think in a hundred years from now, two hundred years from now, that people are going to look back to the Lord Terry and say, 
boy, God was really doing something through disciple-making movements in that generation. I wish I could have been a part of that. And, and as I talk with my friends who are a part of disciple-making movements around the world, they're saying, you know, there's something going on right now. And they saw it first in places like uh, Tibet or China or, you know, the South, Southern Hemisphere. And now they're seeing it in places like Houston or Austin or places in the United States. And, um, and I want to be a part of that, where we see disciples making disciples, making disciples that are planting churches, that are starting churches. And, um, and, and God is really on the move, making a difference. And I think that there needs, as David said, there need to be strong voices because wherever you have, um, wherever you have something, a strong movement, powerful movement of God happening, there also, there's also the danger of the phony movements that use the forms, um, maybe that don't have the substance. And so to be a strong voice, not a perfect voice, we don't, don't assume that, but to be a strong voice of the substance of the good news of the gospel for a disciple-making movement in this generation where God is moving in powerful ways that way um, is just is a great opportunity, and I'm, I'm glad that I get to be a part of it. Yeah, I feel the same way that, that, that you do, Brett, and, and I'm so glad that we get to do this, uh, a disciple-making movement with the power of the Holy Spirit, with a strong theological foundation, and a network around the world of uh, people who will be encouraging other leaders to help with that. So if you're a leader, we hope you've enjoyed this uh, time for us to kind of introduce you to the board of Renew Network and look forward to more podcasts and webinars Look forward to the launch of Renew.org. And uh, until then, we are inviting people to sign up for our newsletter, our weekly newsletter. And uh, you can go and sign up for that at Renew.org. So David and Brett, appreciate you being with us. Uh, uh, Look forward to uh, working with you guys in the future. Publishing ebooks, David. Uh, you've got a couple of ebooks we're looking forward to. Brett, we've talked to you about an ebook, and uh, as I mentioned, the the launch leadership gathering, October twenty fourth, twenty eighteen, uh, in the Nashville, Tennessee area. Come and join with us. So this is Bobby Harrington with Renew Network signing out. This podcast was produced and edited in Franklin, Tennessee by Jason Henderson and Dave Stovall. We hope you join us for another Renew Church Leaders podcast.